Hello, and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Good morning, Joe. And Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. Hello. Uh, welcome to today's episode. This is a Sensible Transfers episode. It's the final in the Sensible Transfers series. Uh, we'll be discussing all the names that you could have ever hoped that we'll discuss. Probably not, but some very interesting players will appear on our list. And of course, the concept for today is to uh, is to is to talk about individual players that may or may not be leaving the clubs that they currently play at, where they might fit in, where they might go, uh, and ha- have conversations around that. It's all very exciting. Um, and part we've got a very exciting part two to today's episode as well, don't we, Seb? Sure do. We have a uh, we have quite a long chat with David Ornstein, who talks us through what life's like for him at this time of year, what it's like to try and break exclusive stories, and some of the hidden pressures that he experiences in his job. And it's mm. it's really interesting. And uh, we also we accidentally wake Mrs Ornstein up from a nap, which uh, I feel like we should apologise for. But um, yeah, that will become obvious in part two why that happened. Right. Okay. I hope so because at the moment it just sounds weird. But uh, you know, hey. yeah, but it's a cliffhanger. It's we're building suspense and intrigue about part two. I think that's a good way of doing it. Ornstein unplugged, yeah. It's exactly. to rival uh, Nirvana's MTV appearance. It's the sort of thing that's going to run on a music channel uh, every other week for the rest of time because it's so good. Yeah. Well, he also he also has some very good advice for young journalists. So if you fancy yourself as a bit of a future Ornstein, then give that a listen to. Well, I'll have to listen then, because I'm too young. Old to be a f- you're not young. I am 30, young. You are disqualified from being young. Well, if you like reading about football, you can read about it online and for a small amount of money, i.e. £1 per week, with a new deal that's running. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO for all of your needs uh, footballing uh, literature needs uh, primarily also available basketball, baseball, American football, hockey. Uh, I think boxing is one of them, and there's also hey, the boxing section's really good, Joe. So uh, it's, uh, it's one to plug. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I assumed it was because you know of the high quality of the stuff that I read. Another sport. I've never read any of the boxing stuff. Really, really good. If you, um, even if you're not really into the sport, the quality of the writing is very good. So uh, do check that out. Oh, uh, also rounders, and um, there's also uh, boule, French boule, um, uh, hockey, <laughs> curling, <laughs> curling. Uh, some of those last ones aren't real, but the main ones are do you know real. That, do you know there's a sport where uh, people attach themselves to donkeys? And then run That's just long distances across, usually across deserts. I have seen that actually. Yeah, that's an Donkey actual thing. on their back. No, 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 the so other the, way so around. Come on, come on. Now. Some people people do it with with dogs, right? So you attach a dog to the front of you, and the dog runs forwards. Do you, you mean tethered rather than like you're not wearing a dog in a Bjorn? You're... Sure, tethered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but people also do it with donkeys. Oh, okay. Which I, you know, I mean, I, I have access to donkeys, and let me tell you, they're not, they're not exactly forthcoming in doing anything that you ever want them to do. So that's that's why donkeys is the best animal, you know. Tell you what, donkeys way better than horses. Horses are these preening, uh, successful, attractive. They're like, you know, what I'm saying when you're in school and there's the there's the attractive 
te- you know what I'm saying? You're, in the, you're either in the hot group or you're in the not group, yeah? Donkeys are firmly in the not group, but they're mm. fucking sweet. They're sweet donkeys. Horses are just... Horses are all all curves and all shallow. You know, we're all surface level horses, but yeah. donkeys, they've had to work for it. Donkeys, yeah? donkeys have soul, don't they? <laughs> they know how to be funny. They've had to learn to be funny because no one cares about them. Yeah. Donkeys. I feel like this has touched a nerve here, Joe. What? No. Talking about having to learn to be funny because no one... Uncle Damien sent us this gift. Do you remember the gift uh, of the trivia? Ooh, the trivia. Here's a picture round one. Um, (laughs) um, Tell you what, stadium looks like a sort of rounded squared golf ball. Uh, Alliance Arena. Fuck off, did you get that? Mate, How this is did you good. get that? Let's do this again. A picture round. This shape uh, sits in the kind of dust of the playing field, and it has five points, but it's not a star. Well, a pentagon. Well, it's so, yeah, I guess it's a kind of un- uneven pentagon, um, but it's a particular... That, you know, you'd eat your dinner off it if it was, if it was in the home. Oh, uh, a hitter's plate. It's the home plate. Oh, yeah. Uh, one more... Let's that, do. Uh, you sort of took that away from being a picture round, really, didn't you? Just used words. But, sporting but charades. Okay, I'm going to describe my actions to you in the sporting charades round. I'm I'm dashing up the court, bouncing the ball every three steps to make basketball. sure I'm not. Wait, hold on, don't interfere. I'm I'm flying through the air. The, no one dunk. has ever seen anyone move like this before. They've never seen the air curve around a human being in the way that it curves around my svelte body and I'm soaring like an eagle and then I bring my arm back and then I smash it down into the net and everything shatters and all the people are they look at me and they think oh you are a real person yeah yeah he's a slam dunk that's that's uh, what I said well done I didn't hear you because I was in my own fantasy I I, I want the point <laughs> You have a point there. Thanks. Congratulations. Uh, but anyway, that's The Athletic. If you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, <laughs> you'll have as much fun as we've just had. You genuinely will. Please sign up. Uh, anyway, for now, uh, I will leave... Well, I just, I know I'm not going to leave you in his hands right now, but I've not been able to say this before, so I'm going to say it now, and then in about 25 minutes, you'll actually be in his hands. I'm going to leave you. In the very warm hands and the cool, cool embrace of David Ornstein. It's the first player now in the uh, Sensible Transfers episode today, Eduardo Camavinga. Eduardo Camavinga. I'm not actually not sure. I did try to look up a pronunciation for this uh, this young fella's name, but I couldn't find it. I wasn't sure if it was uh, Camavinga or Camavinga. Someone will tell me. Uh, he plays uh, for Ren anyway, um, and uh, he's he's 18 at the moment. I don't think he turns 19 till later this year. He is a central midfielder. Some would say he's a defensive midfielder. Look, I've done some research. Do you want to hear my notes? You were so proud of your research. You, you phoned me to tell me about it. It's because normally I don't have time to do I research. Definitely, but then... definitely want to hear your notes. Okay, here's my notes. I don't and want I'll you to ad lib around your shorthand no. either. I want you to read it literally, please. Okay, okay. 
<laughs> right, okay, fine. Here we go. Tall, comma. <laughs> Uh, I want to qualify this 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 line a little bit. Uh, his play style uh, uh, reminds me of Paul Pogba. If Paul Pogba was better at tackling than he was at passing, he's still a bit spindly. Presumably, has time to bulk. Reminds me of a conversation that I had with my mother. Is Seb short? I mean, I'm going to have to ad lib around that one to explain it, Seb. If that's all right, <laughs> otherwise that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Proceed. Thank you. Uh, I had a conversation with my mother. My mother listens to the podcast. Hello, mother. Thank you. Uh, And uh, she she said to me the other day, oh, I don't mean to cast aspersions, but is Seb short? And I said, no, I don't think so. He's about, you know, average height. Why do you ask that? And she said, oh, he's always talking about limbs. He's always talking about how long people's limbs are. And uh, he said that you were weirdly tall or something. And I said, oh, no, no, he's just, you know, he just likes... I explained to her about the... The le- which fits quite nicely for this one because I explained to her about how you know players with long legs actually can do tackles that other players without without long legs can't do, and we talked about basketball players with arms that are, you know, wingspan that's longer than their height, that sort of thing. Um, so that, that's why she thought you were short. You, you're not. Uh, anyway, he played in the centre of midfield for Rent when they beat PSG when he was just 16 years old. I think that was a performance that lots of people. Uh, admired of uh, Eduardo Camavinga. And also, Statman Dave says that he likes to dictate play unusually for an 18-year-old. He has composure, and he thinks he should go to United. I don't know, who wants to pick this one up? I will, because he reminds me of, well, not a young Moussa Dembele, but the player that Moussa Dembele would eventually become under Maurizio Pochettino. So Dembele actually started life, this is uh, the Tottenham Dembele rather than um, the uh, player who's just moved to Atletico Madrid. Uh, Mr. Dembele actually started life as a forward. He um, he was an attacking player, and over the course of his career, he kind of drifted backwards to becoming probably one of the most elegant pivots I've I've, I've seen. And Kamavinga reminds me of him a little bit in the in the way that he is very press resistant. He is ball carrying, right? Yeah, and also it's a style thing, Joe, as well. When you watch opponents press him, he doesn't get flustered. He's happy kind of to to dwell on the ball and to take his time and to you know, occasionally kind of roulette his way past a few tacklers in the, in the way that Dembele did. I know it's a little bit of a lazy comparison, but I think that's a kind of, that's that's pretty important reference point for people who haven't possibly uh, seen very much of him. But he's... Um, not me. Not you anymore. Not you. This should be a regular feature, Your your the reading of your notes. I feel like sure, that was a, I might start doing them at the end because okay. otherwise I feel like I'm going to leave the conversation, but carry on. No, well, that's it, really. I, I think sometimes with a player like this, there's a little bit of bluster. People kind of assume that as soon as someone hits 18, 19, he must go to a top-of-the-range club. I don't know the latest, but back in November, uh, L'Equipe were uh, suggesting that he was quite close to signing a new contract. I don't know what effect the Media Pro situation and uh, Canal Plus's decision to um, withdraw their own. Uh, I think they, I, I'm not quite sure of that news story at the moment, but uh, I think Canal Plus have withdrawn their own tender for the remaining rights or they have backed out of whatever rights package they already had. But either way, it's, you know, uh, ominous organ music sounding again for French football. So I don't know whether that's had an impact on the contract offer or the negotiations, but um, there was certainly the intention to extend there, but I'm not sure what his uh, 
his future looks like as a result of that. I mean, given the way that he's considered uh, as a sort of future world beater, I imagine it probably will have some kind of impact. Um, Alex, how do you feel about him as a as a player? Very, very positive. I mean, like you say, that it was that performance against PSG back in August of 2019 that that made everybody sit up and and take notice of you know a 16 year old who genuinely bossed a central midfield against the best club in the league. Um, and Wren have been kind of quietly getting on with climbing up the table and punching above their weight with some intelligent signings, people like Jeremy Duku. Um, and they've got a decent squad. I don't think there's any doubt that Camavinga's ceiling is high, but I think it's the the only slight danger with players like this is when they do explode onto the scene in the way that he did in one game. Yes, his performances were relatively consistent across the course of a season, but you know he's there's there's still a lot of scope for uh, for things to go wrong or for him to not quite develop. Um, I think Seb's uh, comparison is a, is a good one. Um, he's you know he doesn't dribble often, but when he does, he tends to hit a sort of seventy percent success rate. His main stuff at the moment is tackling and ball recoveries, and he's extremely good at reading the game uh, and getting those. But he can also go missing in games, um, and it's a lot of pressure for a player of his age. Uh, you know, there's no doubt that he's going to move somewhere big, but I think for him, you know, one more season at Wren where he can really kind of take on more of a leadership role there and and kind of bed in in a, in a circum. you know he's been at the Wren Academy since he was 11 so there's a lot of familiarity and security in that club I think if he were to go off to a Real Madrid or a Man United in the summer he could possibly get lost a little bit um, yeah. because I think it's I think it's maybe one season too early for him to step up that's not to say he's not a very good player but I think people sometimes don't appreciate that these players are very, very young sometimes, and and such a transition so early on could be yeah. could be quite unsettling. Absolutely. Well, one thing I wanted to to, to ask uh, you about is his position because I've seen um, clips of him playing sort of in in on the right hand side of a midfield three. I've also seen him playing at the base of a midfield three, and it's difficult. I suppose perhaps this is partly to do with his age, um, and he's still. You know, he's quite good at a lot of different things, so it's hard to narrow down exactly what sort of player he's more likely to become. Do you see him more becoming part, or you know, uh, one of the forwards two in a midfield three, a, a defensive midfielder in the holding role, or perhaps one of a one of a double pivot? I, I, it's a really, really good question, and I think it kind of points to sometimes what the issue is with these players that you know, particularly if someone's coming through in in a club that's not necessarily blessed with a huge amount of of talent, then they get moved around depending on on where they can most affect the game rather than having the time to bed into one position and one role. Um, ultimately, I think probably as, as a midfielder in a double pivot that allows him to both screen, break up play, tackle. His tackle success rate is really, really good. But also, like Seb says, to be that press-resistant midfielder who collects the ball from the defence, but then carries it up. I think if you position him at the base of a midfield three, you lose something of that dynamism. I, I don't doubt that he could do the role really well. I think if you put him on the right-hand side of a midfield three, possibly you lose some of that defensive ability or he gets sucked backwards as he's trying to do too much defensive work. 
Um, so I think, a, yeah, I think a double pivot has got a nice balance to it um, for him because it allows him to to work on all the facets of his game uh, and try and improve all of them. And maybe he needs to work out what it is he wants to do um, because, you know, I think sometimes players feel that they're naturally suited to one thing or the other and that doesn't always chime with what a coach wants them to do. So this is still a very, very young player, very promising player, obviously, but... I think bedding into one position and one one kind of style of footballer is probably what he needs at this point. Seb, let me ask you this question uh, because this is this will be different uh, from, from the perspective of different people, particularly at different ages. So Eduardo uh, Camavinga is 18 years old at the moment. You said there's a chance that he could sign an extension. Uh, we're, we're not entirely sure, but if he if he didn't, his uh, his contract expires next summer in 2022. Um, if he did, then obviously it would run for for longer than that. That massively changes the complexion of any kind of bid that that, that comes in for him, right? Now, on the one hand, you might think that okay, if a player is seeking a, a bigger move, they might not want to sign that extension because they, you know, I think that means the club are more likely to sign uh, to you know release them this summer uh, when they can actually get a transfer fee. On the other hand. Uh, he's been, as Alex said, uh, at the club for a long time since he was a, since he was a young child. Uh, he presumably uh, wants them to uh, to uh, be the benefactors of a big transfer fee that comes in for him. Also, at this point in his career, it's probably quite useful for a big transfer fee to be paid for him. And presumably, it's better to uh, avoid some of the clubs that might come in for him should he be on the cheap, even if he's not quite the ideal option. Is it actually uh, in 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 this context, you know, hypothesizing? Excuse me of course, could actually kind of suit him to to sign an extension, even if he was uh, intending to leave. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, that, isn't it? Because you you think that by signing a new contract, you essentially sieve out all the time wasters. Because if you're going to sign him after you sign an extension, then you're going to have to pay the kind of money, which means you really have to think about what you're about to do with him. There's actually... um, It's a bit like when you go on first dates and then you just say all the stu- all the weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just fan, you know, you just kind of sieve out the ones that, you know, would, would have left you in a couple of weeks anyway. Exactly. I, I, when I was... Um, Come back. When I, was, uh, when I was a boy, I used to read a comic series called Foot- Football Picture Monthly. Football Picture Story Monthly, sorry. And there was actually a... Uh, a um a chapter of uh, they used to come in these tiny little booklets like um like the old commando magazines did you ever read those when you were a young boy no alex that seems like something you might have done you know little war stories i I may have stumbled across one or two yeah okay so anyway in 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 one of these it was about these two boys that were of equal promise when they were 16 and one, it was all full of cliches. Like one falls in with a really dodgy agent who, if I um, remember rightly, had a ponytail and some truly awful facial hair. Like he was oh. like the, the caricature of the shady agent. Yes. And the other one was, he did everything right. Like he was represented by his dad. And when he was 18, a, uh, a big, he was based in Scotland and a big English club, Kings Road United, I think. Uh, came in and offered a huge amount of money, but um, he had a sit-down conversation with the chairman of his club who said, look, we're in financial trouble. Uh, we won't stand in your way, but we kind of need you to sign a new contract. And he did. Because, and that was kind of presented parable-like as the way you conduct your career, is like you look after the sure. club that have, yeah. have, have reared you. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wonder whether... And then they refused to sell him. 
Yeah, and then, and then he was in the <laughs> stopped paying his wages. Contract forever. That was the end of the story. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder also whether at 18, like I, most likely he's headed for the very top of the game. I completely accept that. At the same time, though, there's real value in having security at that age because a lot can change. You know, you, you know, uh, a, a star of the game at 18 is not necessarily going to develop into a star at 23. I mean, look at Renate Sanchez. I know he's on the way back, but he's spent a lot of time in the wilderness in the last couple of years. I was thinking about him as, as also a kind of a press-breaking central midfielder. Yeah, but also, you know, it, it's a there's a lesson there in that, you know, you jump too quickly, you can get lost and all of a sudden your can, career can lose momentum and then you're having to take a step back and in his case, probably a step back to uh, where he was when he was 18, 17. And then you kind of have to start again. So there is a little bit of the continuity of preserving a situation which works, which it obviously does for him uh, at the moment in Liga. There's some value to that. The one caveat is he's represented by the stellar agency, which is Jonathan Barnett's agency, Gareth Bale's agent. Uh, you don't have him as an agent if you're intending to spend the rest of your career playing Liga football in France. No, think. sure, sure. And none would expect Eduardo Camavinga to do so. The next section is on uh, Dio Pamecano. Of course, 22 years old, RB Leipzig, release clause somewhere between uh, 36 and £40 million. Pounds. Whew, what a bargain. So that's, that's as of the summer, right? Not as of January. Check this out. Here's my notes. <clears throat> According to Sportsmole, Liverpool want him. But they also want his centre-back partner, Ibrahim Akanate. Oh, no. Yeah. Which one, which one do you go for? No takers for that. Also, uh, I watched a video called This Is Why Every Team Wants Dio Apamakano. And it was a succession of clips of him tackling. And they were good tackles. So, yeah. Looks good. Um, Seb, let's begin with you. Every time we talk about uh, Dio Pamacano or Ibrahim Akanate, we talk about the other one. Uh, This is because they're a a fantastic uh, centre-back partnership. Um, And uh, in some cases, it's it's kind of an unusual thing, isn't it? That clubs, uh, you know, the big clubs are looking out there for centre-backs. Both of them are the same club. Very, very reasonably might be interested in both players. Um, That's an unusual thing. I can't think of many other examples like that. No, not not at a club where they're kind of both vulnerable to being picked off either because you obviously have the situation where uh, Leipzig could lose both in the same summer. I don't think that will necessarily happen, um, but it's a, it's a difficult one. It's strange also because it's one of those situations where you could probably make the argument that Canate is the better player. I think if I was just a club from somewhere with a lot of money to spend and I could only have one, I think I'd choose him. Nevertheless, there's a big profile difference between the two. Um, if Meccano is is the, he's kind of been anointed as the the chosen one, the next great centre half in in Europe, and you can completely understand why that is. He deserves that reputation. At the same time, that profile has really allowed Canate uh, just to develop quietly in the background, and he's kind of the he's the defender of choice for people that sort of probably spend a little bit more time watching Leipzig. I think this is, um, I forget which one, Alex, I think it's Real Madrid. I think this is a point that you made in a Sensible Transfers video. Uh, yes, it was. And I think it was Real Madrid. 
that's my way of handing over to you in the conversation. Oh, right. right. He's Love just handed it. it right back. He's that, he's that guy at parties, isn't he, Seb, where you ask him an open question and then he just closes it immediately. Yeah, he just shuts <laughs> yeah. the door on Thanks, you. Just mate. make sure there's no repartee yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working yeah. really hard here to get things flowing, but uh, no, you've decided to just sit it's here in silence. Pretty unlikely you'd find me at a party, to be fair. For um, that reason. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, think this is, I think this is right. Um, what Seb is, is saying... A Permacano, I think, is he's the kind of player who who very much catches the eye, partly just his physicality, and and I'm not talking about his size and strength uh, per se, although he has both in abundance. It's also the way he uses that. Um, you know, he will brush through the first line of the press when he carries the ball out. He strikes the ball very sweetly with the long range of passing. His his defending uses that strength. Uh, extremely well and he you know he's also I think both of these defenders have have had a real benefit in being nurtured by Willie Auburn who um, has been at Leipzig forever uh, as far as I can recall and is an incredibly solid no-nonsense defender who's been one of the Bundesliga's best for quite a long time without ever really getting any appreciation for it and so these two young French centre-backs have, have come up in his shadow and learned an awful lot from him. And I think that's made them... I think it's made them more disciplined players and, and, and put... A, you know, because sometimes sometimes players with these natural physical gifts think they can do everything and want to carry the ball out through the first line of the press every time and want to smash it long every time and do all of this cool stuff. And having someone like Auburn alongside kind of shouting defensive fundamentals is really important too, and I think that's augmented their abilities. Um, Kanate came through the youth programme at Sosho, which is really, really strong um, and and has produced a lot of good players. I think Upper Meccano has been at... I think he was at Salzburg from, like, 15 or 16. Um, and and so he's much more schooled in the kind of... the, the, the Salzburg-Leipzig style of... of play and pressing um it's very difficult to say who's going to be better um I, I kind of tilt towards Seb's opinion um but Upper Meccano is the one like you say who who has all of this kind of brouhaha around him and so clubs that are looking to make a statement signing as much as a quality signing and he is both are going to be naturally drawn to Upper Meccano rather than Kanate yeah you know, he just he seems to ease people off the ball you know what that, I mean? That's what I mean about this physicality. It's not it, it. You know, you you can have a player that's a that's an absolute unit, and you you kind of look at them when they're jogging around, and you think, God, he's 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 big. He looks strong and difficult to play against. Then when you actually see it deployed with yeah. a degree of finesse, like he's not he's like a ballet dancer. Off the ball. He's not he's not going through people. He's just easing them off the ball. He's just using his body in a very intelligent way to to manoeuvre players out of the way to give himself the space to win the ball and then do something with it. Yeah. Um, you know, these are these are both exceptionally good defenders. Well, I mean, I know in the video we suggested uh, Dio Pampicano for Real Madrid. Seb, do you have a, 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 another option for him? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a trick question because you could probably make the case for pretty much uh, any major side in Europe, with the exception of maybe Manchester City, who seem to be onto a good thing with the, the Diaz Stones partnership and Laporte still there as well. Uh, you could certainly see him as a um, 
as a missing piece at Manchester United. He would definitely be an asset at Chelsea. Uh, Real Madrid we've covered. I would say that uh, you could make a case of Bayern Munich, although that would involve a bit of a tweak in system and style of defence. So that's probably not that realistic. Uh, and Leipzig probably wouldn't want to sell to them anyway. So, yeah, he's one of those players that there's going to be an auction at some point, um, which kind of, I mean it makes the, the release clause a, a bit of a strange one. And it, you'd think that if that was going to happen, that would be happening now rather than waiting into the summer because obviously Leipzig wouldn't be able to benefit from any auction as of the summer. So we'll see. But I mean, I, I, I think whoever gets him will get a um, a very good player. I think also the point about physicality is that what people, uh, the, the mistake that often gets made is um, the failure to see some physicality sometimes as a uh, as a weakness because with the wrong set of abilities, a very big, strong player is a problem because you know he barges through the back of players, he is clumsy, he relies on his physicality. And that's the thing, that's the point about Upamecano, he's not that. He understands yeah, yeah. how to use his body. Alex raised the point that he doesn't, he's elegant with it. He's kind of balletic in the way that he he defends. And that's a, that's a very rare quality. And it's kind of perfect because you have all the virtues of being a big guy and someone that can match up one-to-one with like, uh, you know, e- even the biggest target man you could name really. Um, like even if you, even if you put him up against, I don't know, uh, uh, Andy Carroll, Jan Collar in his prime, you would kind <laughs> of take a Meccano to win that battle. Um, but at the same time, obviously he can play. He's technically a really good footballer, but also uh, he he isn't a liability because of his size, which is a uh, it's a it's a very um, it's a very rare combination of abilities. Well, can I say I think if I were a footballer, I'd be like Upamecano because <clears throat> uh, I've <laughs> I've always been uh, tall, you know, and uh, and as a as a teenager and as an adult, I've always been a little rotund, shall we say. I'm a loud person, or I should be loud, you would think, because of my mass, yeah? When I move around, I should be making more noise than a small person. But wait, I make less noise, because I have shame. <laughs> and shame is, is an incredible, <laughs> incredible incentive. And you have shame, you can turn it into almost anything. And I am an exceptionally quiet mover. I glide around. Hmm? Yeah? Maybe, like, some of that quietness is to do... The, the way you move around is, is sort of fear of doing your back. I mean, every time it's also I that, see you yeah. in real life, one of us ends up tweaking their back by lifting a bit of furniture. Or well, something. listen, so when you're going to be physical, then that's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just saying, I am too like a ballet dancer. I'm, I am I am Dio Pamacano. Let's move on to uh, the next person now. Uh, oh, Ser- Sergei Milinkovic Savic. Let's talk about Sergei because he uh, is playing at Lazio. Contract until 2024, so he's locked in for the next three years. Um, so you've written a note here to say his agent is actually Mattia Kessman, uh, who I have written is probably most famous for playing at Bait Borisov in 2011. That's right, isn't it? Well, most people would probably say Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yes, Chelsea and Atletico and PSV. But, you know, yeah. Bait Borisov. He was very prolific in Holland and Chelsea signed him right at the beginning of um, the Abramovich era. 
This is his um, agent, by the way. We're not talking about Milinkovic Savage. Yeah, no, we'll get to Milinkovic Savage. It just it just interests me. I always always find it interesting when you find a um, an ex player who's gone into agency. Like um, I think uh, Tom Demille, who used to play for Ajax, is uh, Jan Vertonghen's agent. I think, um, and he, it, it happens quite a lot. Um, but yeah, Matai Kesman is his agent, and also w- weirdly, and I, this might be a mistake. I looked it up, and uh, he. Um, he doesn't represent Sergei's brother, which is weird because you usually think that both brothers would, you know. Would you think that? Would you? I, I don't, don't know. know. You just Alice and I have separate banks, like... you know. Actually, I don't know yeah, if that's true. I, I, do you really? You don't. Sep- you know, different, but a bit different banks. Well, not not different accounts. I I wasn't expecting you to have a joint account. I just mean <laughs> you 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 bank with different companies. Yeah, pretty sure. That's interesting. Okay. What? Yeah. Why? Is why it? is that interesting? That I is. don't know. But my wife and I have the same, not bank account, but provider of banking services. But but is is that something that changed over when you got married, or was that just no? That could just be coincidence. That, no, no, no. It, it's not that. It's just like you. If you, for instance, in Joe's situation, Joe and Alice, like podcast listeners won't know Alice, but she does. Uh, she's head of all of our design. Um, work like there, there's some personality similarities there and you'd think that the things that made Joe decide on his bank would also lean Alice towards the same how little you know us company. listen 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 <laughs> shush up <laughs> Sergei Milinkovic Savage okay I, I, listen we're in danger now of going over some of the things we discussed when we talked about Eduardo Camavinga because uh, Sergei is also a press-breaking dribbler. He can do that from a central midfield position. For also very tall, uh, has a physicality to him, uh, nice range of passing. We've talked about him quite a lot. In fact, I think we've made a video about him. I'm hesitant to talk too much about him as a player. I want to hear where he is going to go because people have been talking about him making a move, making a, a transfer move for a year or two now, at least, in fact, at least two. Uh, the reality is he would be very expensive um, but he's, you know, he's been on lots of clubs' lists, so perhaps this is the same as the the Dio Pamicano conversation. Maybe there's lots of suitors for him, uh, but I want to hear uh, some of them now, Seb. I may have been checking my phone while you were saying that. Because you seriously you weren't listening to me. <laughs> well, because I I just assumed you were going to Alex because I just <laughs> we'd done the he bank was, thing and I thought he was just the conversation. I was trying to stop you from your false start, but I'll go to Alex first and then you, then it's coming back to you, Seb. So you better fucking listen. <sighs> okay. Uh, yeah. So he's been at Lazio for well, this is his sixth season um, now, and and Lazio are a club that are probably never going to deliver, you know, top honors maybe a run in the Coppa Italia or something, but um, they're not going to win Serie A. So he, he's at, you know, he's 25. He's, he's at the age where he's got enough time with one club and still of the good age profile to move off somewhere. Much How old is bigger. he? He's 25. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you said 28. No, no, no. Um, I mean, he, he'll be 26 in a month or two. Um, I think from a, a, a physical perspective, um, he everything about him suggests a transition to the Premier League. He's six foot three. He's excellent at making late runs into the box. He's quite a threat uh, aerially. He's also really good at set pieces. He's um, he scored a cracker of a free kick against uh, Spezia earlier this season. 
Um, and this kind of uh, he's he's what Italians would call a mezzala. So he's a he's a, a midfield player who occupies a central space, but then drifts out into the wide areas, orchestrates with long range passing. I can see him working really well at a team that likes to drag teams onto them and then transition rapidly using pacey attacking wide players called Marcus Rashford. Ooh. Yeah, it could be a thing. I would I would think it to be more of a thing if Manchester United was still managed by Jose Mourinho. Um, Milenkovic Savage is about as perfect an attacking midfielder for Mourinho as you could probably build from scratch. Um, I don't actually... I, I what about like... if they're managed by someone who doesn't seem to really have any kind of preference? <laughs> would that, would that, have that you would got an example in mind fit? of someone like that? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. The, the, the thing about him that I think works for Solskjaer's United is this long passing from deep. He has a really, really good ability to set quick attackers running, whether it's through a central pass or out into the wide areas. And sometimes that can be a bit lacking from United at the moment. Is he a Pogba replacement, I guess, is, is the question I really want to ask. And also, if he, if he not necessarily a like-for-like uh, you know, like replacement, but uh, if Pogba leaves in the summer, could he be? Could he serve as a replacement? And also, could he play in a double pivot in a way that Pogba doesn't really seem to, to uh, enjoy? Uh, for my money, yes, he could be a kind of Pogba-ish player. Um, I don't think he's played in a double pivot for ages, though. Um, so that yeah. might be a slight issue. Well, I mean, Solskjaer just seems very set on the four-two-three-one. This is true, um, but I guess you know he's—he certainly is capable of being a bit more of an up-and-down midfielder, um, sort of box-to-box type. So I—I I don't think it would be the worst fit. Um, I haven't paid much attention to what he's like defensively, to be fair. So I don't feel entirely qualified to answer that. Okay, Seb. I don't like the idea of taking someone from Serie A and, and asking them to be box-to-box in the Premier League. I think that can be done, and I think he could do it, but I think that involves a little bit of an adjustment period, and I don't think Manchester United is the place where you go through that. I think it's just too harsh an environment. So I don't. it's not really one for me, I don't think. Can I make a suggestion or a prediction here? I don't know if anybody wants to uh, take anything up with me on this. Uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic will never leave Serie A. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, actually, I would go one further. I think he'll never leave Lazio. Oh, really? I, yeah, because he's he's got a current contract um, until 2024. and That would put him I at 28 that, years old. Yeah, and That's the price is always prohibitive, yeah, even yeah. even before the coronavirus. Like it's, I, He's one of those players who I think will just be happy to... I don't think anyone will ever be convinced enough to pay the money that Lazio wants to release him, basically. Mm. I think that says more about Lazio than it does about him, but I I also think that's I think well that's very he's plausible. signing the contracts. I mean, you know, he's uh, I I don't I mean I I could be wrong, and I'm happy to defer to people who um who pay more attention to Italian football. But I've never known um I've never heard any story of him agitating for a move. I mean, he was linked to some pretty big clubs a couple of years ago, maybe about around the time of the last World Cup. I think yeah, that's um, yeah, that's true. Well, you know, maybe he just likes living in Rome. Hey, I mean, who yeah. wouldn't? Worst places. Yeah. There are worse places. Also, their stadium, uh, the uh, the Stadio Olimpico, built into the mountains there, isn't it? Lots of nice wildlife greenery around it. Yeah, maybe he's a bird watcher. A lot of trees is what I'm saying. They got the they got the Olympic track around the pitch, of course, which isn't 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 to my tastes. But um, 
I hear they I hear they really love it over there. Um, anyway, uh, we have to s- go pretty quickly through the next couple of players. One I feel like we're probably not going to talk about for that long. One I think we could go on for longer. Uh, so let's do the quickie first. Uh, Jaden Sancho, Borussia Dortmund, contract until 2023. Um, I mean, I would like to discuss this insofar as the conversation we were having the other day related to uh, Holland being an, an, a, a potential mover and uh, Jaden Sancho being a potential mover. Presumably Dortmund are only going to allow one of them to leave. Uh, Jaden Sancho's contract, as we say, does not expire next year. So you know, the club are under no sort of illusions that they need to sell him. Um, and uh, I can't remember the expiration date of Haaland's contract, but essentially it, we felt like one of them might go this summer. Uh, Seb, do you want to pick that up? Yeah, so the, the Haaland situation is as of next summer, so 2022, he has a release clause in his contract. But that's yeah. not active at the moment and won't be for another 18 months. Did you read about Chelsea, by the way? <laughs> yeah, like I, I feel like maybe work with Timo Werner for a little bit first. And then see where you are after that. I think yeah. is, is probably the way forward. I mean, you know, um, the, the 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 reporting. I think it was Simon Johnson actually who, who was reporting that the, the interest was there and that the interest was there to um, begin the conversation now, so as to avoid a situation where that uh, release clause allows all of the other suitors in. Well, it's difficult because I, I think if you were if you were a player in Holland's category, you'd be asking questions about Chelsea's manager's managerial situation because. Uh, would you bet on Frank Lampard still being there in the summer for next season? I don't think so. Um, well, do you think this is what I mean? This is an interesting, interesting way of looking at it. Actually, I've not considered this before. We know we heard all of this, all these sort of rumours about Lampard um, and you know poor performances and and the the hierarchy at the club weren't particularly pleased. And maybe you know maybe he's not going to last the season, right? Do you think the reason for the timing around that could be because of January? If the club know that they're seeking to attract big talent, or at least they're starting conversations with big talent in January, uh, and the talent, as you say, might rightly ask questions about the management, that they try to get some kind of uh, uh, runway plan in uh, ahead of time so that they can discuss that uh, when they're talking to new players? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, viewed from another perspective, I think they'd be foolish if they didn't do that. Because I think if you're if you're a forward and if you were Erling Haaland who can pretty much name his next club, you would look at where Chelsea are on the league table. You look at some of the performances. I think more importantly, you look at the way Chelsea have handled some of their, well, both of their high profile signings from the Bundesliga, so Kai Havertz and, and obviously Werner, and say, yeah, this isn't going as well as it might do. And there's more than one reason for that. And certainly it's not, um, it's not confined to... Uh, Frank Lampard's management style or his tactical approach or anything like that. But it's one of the issues. Werner has been soldadoed, which is just a, a terrible place for a forward of, of that value to be. And Harvitz, Harvitz has had some illness and, you know, he hasn't had a proper preseason. But I think what you would do in that situation as a club is, is try and provide some reassurance that a major transfer can be handled from the playing perspective better than it has been up to this point. Uh, and... If that involves suggesting, look, you know, this guy is under pressure and we're reviewing his performance, then I think that kind of does the trick. I, I don't know beyond that how far the conversation would go, but yeah, it makes sense to me. Is there a chance that Jaden Sancho goes anywhere other than Manchester United? I, I don't think he should go to Manchester United. I, I, I think, if anything, the way Manchester United conducted themselves last summer would be a 
um, a hindrance to that. I mean, we, we all remember what it was like when when the Athletic finally uh, released the report on what actually took place. It transpired that Man United got nowhere near to signing Jadon Sancho, and that was despite what was a, clearly an awful lot of briefing um, that was sort of suggesting that it's it's happening now. No, now. No, next week. No, in three days' time, and it's it's going to be my exclusive in this tabloid. And actually, it's all nonsense. Um, I think that becomes annoying. Uh, becomes annoying, and I, I think if you look at the way Dortmund responded to some of that noise, it seems that they were provoked by it. From the players' perspective, I, I think Man United. Okay, maybe. I mean, you can always make the case for Manchester United, but I, I just like. I've always liked Sancho at Real Madrid. I just think the personality mm. suits it. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. the way he plays suits it. I, I just, uh, I, it's something I'd like to see. I don't. I have no idea what he would. Um, you know whether that's feasible or whether that's realistic from Real's perspective, but I, I, I think it's just a slightly better fit. Alex, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with anything that Seb says there. I mean, the, they're both clubs that have a requirement for a right winger who does more than their current right winger um, for different reasons. I think with United, it's because ultimately Mason Greenwood ends up as a central striker. Um, with Real, I think. The, the, the Brazilian youngsters that have been playing in that position haven't really convinced and they've tried playing people like Lucas Vasquez up there. Um, it does make sense. Um, you know, I, I think it's very, very difficult. Again, with young players, obviously Sancho is a lot more exposed to first-team football and, and, and all of the brouhaha that goes with that. Um, but he's still a young guy and it's, you know, all of this noise circulating around potential transfers and so on I think probably does have an impact um, and if there's a club like Real Madrid that can conduct their business you know more effectively more subtly not that that's something that Real Madrid are particularly well known for but I think that probably would would play into his hands you know again a bit like Holland, he can probably take his pick of clubs um, I think Holland to Chelsea is a bad idea by the way I just don't think it works at all um, you know, I can see him and Werner just trying to occupy the same space all of the time and both getting really frustrated with it. Okay, let's move on now to uh, to, to Ruben Neves at Wolves, which is interesting uh, because uh, well, listen, Wolves are not having a, a great time. They haven't had a win in the league since mid-December, or well, it was against Chelsea, and this is for a team that was, um, you know, was uh, cooperating in the Europa League last year, so a bit of a fall. Um Diogo Jota has left too, who was a, a close associate of Ruben Neves, so presumably it's crossed his mind to leave. Um, and we, we are speaking, I mean, we're recording this uh, not too long after the game against West Brom the other day when uh, Ruben Neves was subbed after 60 minutes after a pretty terrible performance, described by the Athletics' Tim Spears as absolutely shocking. So there we go. Um, you know, <laughs> it, uh, it, Tim Spears did say more and qualify, uh, but it was a bad, it was a bad performance. Uh, most of the rumours link him to, because there aren't that many, link him to Manchester United because everybody's linked to Manchester United. I don't really <laughs> want to have that conversation. So can somebody, you know, what was interesting particularly for me about Ruben Neves when I was researching was that there don't appear to be many rumours. Not like there were about a year ago when, you know, lots and lots of clubs were rumoured to be in for him. Most of the, the news section uh, on Google uh, referred to just, just, just playing time. Uh, so I don't know who wants to pick this up first. I'll pick it up because okay. I watched the West Brom game and Wolves were Wolves were dreadful. It, it, it just it feels as if a, a number of different things have happened um, 
including obviously the injury to Raul Jimenez, which has taken the teeth out of this side completely. Um, and that's a, a very difficult thing to manage. Also, um, in the same season as you've lost Diogo Jota, who was um, an important part of that, uh, you know, attacking unit, Adama Traore has uh, re- uh, receded off his um, off his peak, uh, fallen back from where he was last season. Yeah, he hasn't scored in a really long time, has he? Yeah, he's he's developed. He's he's kind of all the bad habits that were sort of that melted out of his game a year ago. A couple of them are back, um, uh. and. It's just not working quite as well. It might be to do with the Jimenez factor. Like there was a really good partnership between the two of them. And uh, there was a kind of an instinct in the way that they played together, which isn't there at the moment. So that might be part of it. But I feel like, I don't know what Wolves need. It feels like a sort of, I mean, I, I use the word stagnation in the notes just because it feels like he's been there for, for longer than probably anyone imagined that he would be. And that there's coming a point where whether Wolves want to or not, they're going to have to reinvent their midfield. Xamitinho cannot play at this level forever. Um, I don't know what the long-term objective is with Yander Dendonka, who I really like as a player, but you kind of he has sort of split duties between the central midfield. He can play at the back as well. Um, and Neves, I, I think he, he came to Molyneux because he could progress into English football, and for many years he did. Now... I don't know. Like he's he's always been a, a slightly less aggressive people that a player than people have assumed. Like people focus on the sort of the, the long range shooting and you know the occasional Hollywood pass, but that's not necessarily what he does well all the time. That's not what that's not sort of indicative of his um, reflective of, of his consistent output. And you wonder whether now's the time for George Mendes to look at the market and think I need to put him somewhere else. Um, and also, obviously, selling him would. Um, you know, raise the kind of fees needed to, uh, to yeah, to to, to lead a, a reinvention at Wolves. Um, right, absolutely. Interesting situation. I just feel like they aren't benefiting from each other as much as they they were. If that makes sense. So, where, where do you see as fit for him? Well, I I would look at the obvious place because of the Mendes connection. I think is probably Tottenham. I think that would be if you added him into a midfield which included Pierre Mahoyberg. Tanky and Dombele, and you made him the third man. I think that's very interesting. That is very um, interesting. That's a very solid, very Mourinho-ish midfield. You've uh, caught my attention. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really buy the Man United thing. I don't buy the Liverpool connection anymore because well, is the uh, is the money there at Spurs? Let's let's stay on it. Let's see what happens with Deli Ali. If Deli Ali is sold, then absolutely there's the money there. Um, I don't know if they if they it's it's not going to happen in January, is it? But if, no, no, sure. if Spurs were to um, sneak one of the Champions League places, which I think is possible, like I could see them finishing fourth, maybe third, then um, then you could say that the the revenue streams are with you know the provision about you know crowds being back or not. I think you say the revenue streams are there, so you, you could make the case. But I, I he's also frog. in a way he's kind of like um, he's kind of an Atletico Madrid type of player in a way. Uh, yeah, you think so? Uh, I could I could see it. I don't know if it would happen, but I could, I could see it um, because I, it, despite everything we've said about him, and and Tim Spears is absolutely right. He was dreadful the weekend, and he's had a few of those performances recently. Despite all of that, he belongs at the top of the game. He's not a Ballon d'Or winner in the future, but he's a very very good player, and you you could make the case for him being an asset to pretty much any side in Europe. Okay, uh, Alex, how do you feel about Ruben Neves at Spurs? Does it do you think it's tasty? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think, you know, the the ability to transition the game from deep is obviously one of his primary qualities. Um, 
I think I think the issue that prevents him from going to a, a Man City or a Liverpool is probably that the Wolves don't have a particularly strong um, pressing game. That they're you know they're not they're not front foot aggressive defenders as a team, and so the adaptation for Neves to a team that presses really intensely would probably be quite a tricky one. Um, <clears throat> so a team that sits back, looks to control the pace of the game, and then you know he can orchestrate attacks from a slightly deeper role. Spurs or Atletico Madrid make perfect sense from that perspective. So yeah, just uh, endorse what Seb says. Okay, I like it. Well, listen, we're coming to the end now of uh, of this section of the podcast. We still have David Ornstein to come, of course, so I hope you will all enjoy that. But before we do finish, this is the last uh, Sensible Transfers uh, podcast episode of January 2021. Seb, I know that there have been a lot of people very keen, very eager oh, to off. hear your opinion about uh, <laughs> one particular player. Lots of people have... Um, Lots of people have uh, have been messaging you, I know, keenly, privately, publicly, some of them, asking you to please, please, please talk about Messi. I'm just going to give you uh, 30 seconds now. Please, uh, let's listen, lots of people want it. Let's treat it seriously. Tell me what you think about the current situation. Is he likely to leave in, 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 in the summer, given that his contract is up? Uh, I want to hear your, your genuine take. Genuinely, genuinely, genuinely. Uh, I think depending on the outcome of the presidential and that's all we have time for on today's (laughs) TIFO podcast episode Um, thanks to everyone for listening really appreciate your downloading uh, the episode I hope you can stick around for the David Ornstein section Seb spoke to him for 20 minutes and uh, it it sounds really 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 fun Um, so thanks to to David and we'll be back just to say goodbye uh, at the end of that so for now here's David Ornstein Okay, David, let's start in a really obvious place. What's it like to be you at the moment? <laughs> Tired, um, <laughs> exhausted, uh, but that isn't just at the moment, Seb. That's pretty much at any time, and I've got used to it. And we're in an extremely privileged position in our industry uh, uh, as journalists and specifically in, in football because it's ongoing. Uh, despite the pandemic, and we've got something to write and talk about. We're in a transfer window, which is busier than ever. Um, we've got our health, and that's the most important thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty relentless. The, the transfer window, summer is obviously um, more interesting in terms of the magnitude of deals, um, but January is more condensed and therefore you've got to keep on your toes slightly more than in the summer. Of course, as the summer window draws draws towards a close, you, you can't put your phone away, you can't stop concentrating because things can happen at, at any hour, but you go through a lot of the summer where nothing's happening, whereas in January you don't really. It, it creeps up so quickly, even more so with all the games that are being played in this truncated season um, and the fixture rearrangements with the pandemic. Um it means you need to always be very sharp on the stories that you've been working on, things that catch your eye, tips you get, investigate them properly, stand them up. Um, and in this industry, the period we're going through with the sort of peak, really, of social media, rumours and speculation and and people, as ever, the age-old age thing of... Um, pushing stories towards media, um, people 
perhaps inventing or or, <laughs> um, or 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 putting two and two together as we go further but also as you rise in your career and become more experienced and respected it's more important than ever before for you to uphold your standards of integrity and reliability honesty follow the correct procedure um, and try and cover every base to get things right and that puts pressure on you um, it is stressful um, but ultimately it's rewarding because you'll do the best possible uh, job yeah what what interests me is really i suppose the the exclusive um aspect of what you do in the sense that you're in competition with a lot of other people because you, you're not just a transfer reporter you're a uh, you're a football news reporter and you tend to report major stories where being first is kind of the entire ball game what's the pressure like there when you're when you're trying to balance some of the things that you've just mentioned like accuracy veracity um versus the need to be quick and I, I suppose what's it like to try and juggle the need to be quick and careful at the same time whilst also competing with all these other forces around the world yeah the dream is to get that balance absolutely spot on of being first and being completely right an example of a story i did on monday in the column it was the lead in the end was that west ham have made a bid over the previous weekend to sign a severe striker um and that was a fine example of having all the information that you need completely corroborated and accurate and also um, feeling pretty confident that nobody else had it. Um, it was a bit obscure, I've got to admit. And things came together just how you would like every story to. Exclusive, accurate, first, you name <laughs> it, perfect. That's not always the case. Uh, a few days previously, we broke the story that Arsenal had reached an agreement in principle with Mesut Ozil to terminate his contract. And that was one of the most nerve-wracking stories I've done. There have been numerous actually uh, but that was one of the most because you felt that this was a really seminal moment within the football news landscape uh, the Arsenal supporting landscape but it, it transcended beyond that as well because it involved Fenerbahce and they have a you know vociferous following not just at the club but in Turkey on social media and in the mainstream media um, football as a whole has talked about him so much it transcends into politics religion and all sorts of other areas um, and when you got this information and you're really comfortable on, on the multiple sources and the the, uh, the the reliability, the concrete nature of your information, you then immediately, when it's a story of such magnitude, worry about somebody else getting getting it out before you. Especially with, you know, the Turkish media pretty much charting every development in this story. Uh, and that's not something we have sort of sought to do, give a, a kind of running commentary. You kind of maybe try and pick your battles a little bit and, and wait for the crescendo because you know that's going to be the highest impact, um, the most interesting, the best for your your employers. Um, and that takes a lot of sort of bravery, yeah. luck, <laughs> updating like social media and, and the wider media relentlessly looking across all sources, uh, Googling and and. Twitter searching the name of the people, you know, Urzel in this case, to just check that nothing was coming out. And on tenterhooks, um, uh, fearing that it wouldn't. But you have to follow your right process. And, and 
you know, we started to get wind of that the night before and actually went to sleep on it, having not done the story. Slight advantage in that Turkey was a few hours ahead, so it was already sort of one in the morning there, so we were quite comfortable that it wouldn't come out in Turkey that night. But then in the morning, they're ahead of you, and so you're really worried that they're going to beat you to the punch. And we managed to... We managed to, I don't know, get lucky, bit of design, bit of luck. Uh, conversely, for the Monday column, I, ha- I had a line, much smaller line, that um, was going to be one of the main lines. But, you know, it wasn't, you know, world exclusive, but it was an exclusive line. Um, and that came out. That came out during Sunday. And, and it was a blow. It was a really big... <laughs> it, 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 was, it hurt me because... I had factored that into my thinking for the Monday column, told the editors, we'd talked about it, it was there, we'd corroborated it, but it wasn't maybe quite worth bringing out on the Sunday, but it was definitely worth trying to hold to to the Monday. Equally, when it when it came out, it, it was like a bit of a mini dagger, and then you've got to pick yourself up and, and move on. Similar with the, the Richard Garlic story in... in the previous week um, of him leaving the Premier League to take up a job as director of football at Arsenal. That was one that I'd heard rumbling around and I tried to get bits and bobs of information. I was hoping I was going to hold it for the column exclusively and then I got some information that meant I had to pounce. You, Seb, you build up a, a nous, an instinct, when you've worked in this industry for a long time and my goodness, I've not worked in it nearly as long as many peers out there across the media. Um, but the longer I've been in, you just you just know when it's time to go and you know when you can hold. And, and on occasions, you get it wrong. But with experience, you kind of, you, you, you get a fair judgment. But nerve-wracking. Um, uh, and, and, and sorry, I've, I've digressed from your point, so I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back a little bit. Um, the sort of competition in, in the market, in the industry... I think if you take the approach of full respect to everybody else, that you've got no entitlement to break these stories, you've got you know no God-given right to get it before anybody else, you just have to rely on your contacts, your information, your judgment editorially, um, your process of corroborating and making sure it's accurate, and then a bit of luck in hoping that nobody else has got it and and you're quick. You win some, you lose some. And if you prepare yourself mentally, that that may come out. It may come out by someone else. How how will I react? And try and get your head around it in advance. That does help things a little bit. But don't get me wrong. You know, it's it, it's part and parcel of the job. And, and when you have a story that comes out elsewhere, I'm babbling on here, but I, I want to make a point. Um, when you have a story that... Uh, that comes out elsewhere it's really really painful even if you do respect it. it it really hurts you because that is your usp like you know some of our writers can can do the most magnificent articles in their own time because only they can do that because that's their usp my usp is pretty much the same as loads of other people and yeah you could argue no but you can provide insight afterwards that is better or whatever but that still doesn't affect the thrill the the adrenaline rush and the power of your story and that's why i'll finish with one example and and i won't name the specific story but there was one over the summer that would have been a huge exclusive um not on the level of, say, the Telegraph's brilliant work around Project Big Picture. It was a transfer line. Um, and 
I did, uh, I, I had it and I needed to speak to somebody because accuracy always comes before speed. I needed to speak to them verbally. They weren't in a position to speak just then. And so I had to wait. And in that time, and it happens rarely, but it does happen, um, it came out elsewhere. And then the the contact called me back and I was like, I was in pieces. And, and he said, and he said, don't worry, you know, I'll, I'll explain everything that's happened. And then you can, you can get a, an even better follow-up story. And actually that, that instant news story, although the people that broke it did really well and, and congratulations to them. And I, I would have loved it to have been me. Um, the nature of news means it gets spread very quickly. And the author isn't really remembered for that long you know the person who broke it a bit of peer respect within the industry a little bit within the public but it's gone the news is out has a short shelf life and and that that's actually quite tricky at the athletic because um we're based on um, subscribers and as soon as a news story uh, is out people don't need to subscribe they can just read the first couple of paragraphs or somebody lifts it and it goes what's really valuable to the business and i think to the audiences is the long in-depth features the insight the exclusive nuggets of detail and that was what I was able to do. Um, and it shows at The Athletic, I've, I've got an alternative to my my sort of stock and trade. And, and that is um, a really good form of journalism. So it's, it's a really difficult dynamic. And uh, it's one that I grapple with every day. But I think I've, I've found a decent balance. And, um, and I, I'm quite content. But you do have to stay really sharp there are so many good journalists doing so much similar work out there um you can't rest on your laurels you need to keep your contacts um you know updated you need to you need to keep in touch with them you need to keep having the conversations you need to be ready to pounce you won't get them all but you know if you do things the right way you'll get a lot so your questions in this area the first is for you obviously you um you know, contacts and information is your currency. And you mentioned it right at the beginning of our, of our chat about people that um, are operating on, shall we say, less than good faith. Has that kind of, um, has that kind of nonsense made, it kind of stained the reputation of your part of the industry? Because you have so many people that kind of bullshit their way through stories or, you know, they want attention or, or they just use social media, for instance, as a little bit of a game and, you know, it's not serious to them. And, and they kind of give the whole genre of transfer reporting and breaking news stories, uh, yeah, a bad name. Is that Was that difficult for you when it happened? In terms of their influence on me or on the industry? I suppose the industry, because they, they wouldn't have any influence on you because you know, it doesn't really affect what you do. But I suppose the, it, the effect is on how people view transfer reporting, for instance, and is that, you know, when you're when you're making your name, I mean, you know, a long time back for you in the past, but um, you have to you have to wade through the cynicism that's resulted from 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 charlatans, essentially. Yeah, that's uh, a continual battle. And it's <laughs> something that um, you, you struggle with uh, on a daily basis. Um and uh, I don't have any animosity at all towards people that are putting stuff out that is not right. I've probably put stuff out that hasn't been right with good intentions over the course of my career and and having followed the correct process as well. Um, information is not, you know, you, you could even speak to three, four, five contacts who don't have the exact precise detail that that is is the truth and because you've multiply sourced it and followed all your correct 
procedures as per the guidelines and rules of your employer then, then you run it and, and there are elements that you find out further down the line were different to what you were reporting it fills you with shame and, and I'm sure for the vast majority of journalists out there it's the same and you are comforted by the fact that you did things the right way but it, it always gives you pangs of regret that you you may have slipped up a bit um those who who do stuff uh, have been fed stuff or themselves off their own back do stuff that isn't right um i think sometimes we read a little bit too much into it uh, because the reliable journalists sources um tend to um be the most respected by the widest audiences anyway that the other stuff does create a bit of noise and i can think of stories which it's not fair to go into off the top of my head which have just been wrong even even from you know respectable journalists again I, I don't think they would do so in bad faith um it, it's slightly frustrating but as soon as you then get an opportunity to report um it tends to put the record straight um and and others eventually or whether they're b before you tend to do likewise it you know it it's quite rare that the inaccurate stories remain unchallenged and don't get put right at some point um what i do get a little bit annoyed about is when an inaccurate story creates a debate an innocent debate among lots of good people so you know i i often see contemporaries conversing on on a story that has appeared on, in a, a different country in our country uh, in, a, in a newspaper in a website in a radio station and they start really right-minded people start debating it and i'm watching their <laughs> debate on twitter thinking well what are you talking about that that's not actually true and 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 i, and I want to scream and tell you about it and, and very occasionally i do but what i don't like to do is is put somebody else's work down and for all you know there is a slight chance that you're wrong and and it, not always like sometimes you you'll be completely right but there are that that little um crumb of uncertainty means just leave them to it you know if they've done it in good faith and and also occasionally i've i've said to a, a colleague or a fellow journalist just to let you know in the, in the best possible intention that wasn't true and, and sometimes they've reacted quite badly like you stick to your contacts and i'll stick to mine and and i don't disrespect that because they're clearly doing so in good faith yeah and um and and so that's a little bit fr frustrating in terms of my work personally i very rarely now get people for want of a better phrase trying it on in terms of sources because they kind of know that I then multiply check my stuff and it will just embarrass them if they if they try and pass off some you've got sort of you reached your point of critical mass with reputation and you know your 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 back catalogue of work and you know your what you've got right in the past so presumably that's what speaks for itself over after a, a certain period of time yeah and, and and it doesn't always it doesn't always stop people coming to me with wrong information or trying to manipulate the whatever subject they want um uh, and you mentioned earlier it's not just transfer news I, I do a lot of other stuff as well across um club and uh, wider reporting um around all sorts of subjects politically new contracts changes in staff any changes story in I hierarchy at clubs changes in is, hierarchy uh, boards and stuff of, yeah. like that and 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 just because that's not as popular as transfer news it doesn't mean it takes any less work or it's any less tense or 
intense when when you're trying to work on these stories just as many egos and agendas it, it's just not quite as um magnetic from a from a public conversation point of view one thing that I find a little bit difficult as well is when you you use your channels whether it's my column or podcast or go on other outlets video television and and you kind of say stuff <laughs> you wish everyone in the world could hear it and you know it's right and and you've set a few things straight and provided the accurate latest and then the next time you you turn on a a reputable radio or television or pick up a newspaper or or um website and you see them saying like the complete opposite <laughs> and it going unchallenged it, it's a little bit um <laughs> frustrating and then to the sort of um crux of kind of one of your 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 points in a in a really interesting question um just take the west ham transfer uh, story that i did in in monday's column that i mentioned about the severe striker um one of the first responses on social media was i call bs so he was saying i call bullshit on that yeah. and that that um no, I'm not making this out to be um, no, no, that, uh, that, particularly that winds me hurtful, up, but it winds me up. That's yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah. that's the right way of putting it. It winds me up because, like, of course that's nonsense. Of course I follow the right procedure. But there are some stories where, and, and luckily you can laugh about it in this case, because you've got so much, whether it be evidence or, or information or corroboration, that it's like show a bit of respect not just to me to the other journalists doing this stuff what, what, what when um and i sometimes do call um i get in touch with colleagues or former colleagues who are on broadcast media because i was previously at the bbc so i know a lot of these guys and they say um so there are rumors that this hap this is happening and it's been my story yeah. and I, I get in touch with them and say what what are you talking about rumors you can just say it was reports in the athletic or wherever i've reported it david ornstein or just reports full stop don't even mention me if you don't want I, I, but don't say rumors i, I you know it's, it's actually exhausting i was having a conversation with someone a while ago about luke shaw and the um the dynamic between um him and jose Mourinho a few years mm. ago at manchester united and um it's a conversation about the press conference where Mourinho, I forget the exact wording, but he says something like, oh, I was controlling Luke's brain or whatever. You, you remember the incident I'm referring to. And I was in the press conference. I was sat about 10 foot away from Jose Mourinho when he, when he made those remarks. And the assumption of everybody seems to be that everybody else is lying all the time that everybody's on the take and it's it's all one big grift. And it's, it's, it's why kind of that um, I call BS... Uh, line that you received it i yeah resonates with me it's just it's just it, it does wind you up it's this assumption that everybody is 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 trying to manipulate somebody else or trying to um report false information and it's it's kind of exhausting david it's yeah. um I, I, I tell you what, what, what let's um because that, that's a that's a good segue to, to my next question final question mm. we've got to let you go but no no it's fine it's fine i've seen you at work and it was um uh, back in the summer, you were reporting on a, a major transfer story, and obviously, kind of, um, you know, you you were you were filing your updates, uh, you know, uh, throughout an evening, and they were coming in as and when clearly you were getting contacts, and people were coming back to you and returning phone calls and that kind of thing. I suppose my obvious question for you is, how do you balance family life with that? Like, forget at the moment because no one's having difficulty balancing family life with, you know, we all we all have to stay at home, but. Obviously, your phone can ring at any any time. Like my working day, unless you know there's a match or something, 
um, less so these days, but my working day generally ends six, seven o'clock. I can put my computer away, talk to my wife, have supper, that kind of thing. Presumably for you, not quite that simple. Um, so how do you how do you balance that? The amusing thing is that you asked that question just as my wife, who had been a, <laughs> trying to take a few minutes of rest from homeschooling and had fallen asleep, um, actually just got called by one of the kids shouting mummy. And she, you may have just heard, shouted yes, completely not realising that I was recording this. And that, and that sums up the sort We've of... gone further behind the curtain than I thought that I could have hoped. Fantastic. It's poetic timing, really. Um and it does underline in in the most unstaged and unscripted way that uh, the balancing act you have to strike. And um, firstly, you know, this is nothing new for my wife. She has been with me since, well, we've been together since um, university. And so she's experienced my whole journey through journalism from when I came out of university got a traineeship on The Guardian, which was a huge uh, year or so in my life, really, and one of the most important processes I went through. And then um, did a bit of work freelancing in London and, and then got onto the BBC website, made my way through the BBC, branched into a bit of sports news broadcasting, and then recently joined the athletic so she's seen all the highs and lows and the ups and downs kids have come we've got two children now and they're at the ages of just over six and just over four so even they've adapted a little bit but there's never any kind of full adaptation because this is an all-consuming job which while there is a limit to what you do you can't do the sort of stuff that I do. You can do an element of it, but you can't do the full extent of what I do by having your foot on half throttle. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure I could be more efficient about this, no doubt. I could be much better with my what time I go to sleep or how much I look at my phone, wasted time, um, listening to too many podcasts, listening to too much radio, reading too much stuff in papers, online uh, and social media, uh, when I could jump to the top of the Twitter timeline rather than scrolling because I'm two hours behind, scrolling through every tweet and realising in, in the meantime that I've missed some phone call opportunities or some news breaking or, you know, there's definitely room to be more efficient. But it is that attention to detail. It is the fact that if somebody calls me um, late at night that I take that call, not every time, but when I just sense, again, going back to that nouse, that experience, you know, transfer window, uh, you just get a uh, almost like a sixth sense, and, and you'll get it right and wrong, don't you? Of course, but um, j just knowing that you need to be available, whether it's you to make the call. Sometimes you don't want to make the call. You're tired. You've made too many calls, but you said you'd call that person today. It could come to nothing, and often it does. Uh, and you've been on the phone for an hour, maybe even two hours, zero zilch. But that call that you made could often lead to an improved relationship a building of trust that when the time comes for a story that person comes to you or they pick up the phone and corroborate something you've heard so there is never a wasted moment in journalism you think there is but there isn't i promise you 
um, unless you are actively sort of wasting your time and, and you, you are allowed time to switch off and you've got to spend the time with your children and, and, and your partner and your family when possible and you've got to eat and you've got to exercise. You've got to keep healthy. I do a lot of exercise, not as much as I would I would like. I walk the dog and I can listen on the walk and it's a bit of exercise at the same time. I can make some calls. Um, but the human brain and body is a really capable thing and... Um, you know, though, there is there is a lot of time in the day as well. So, as as much work as I put into that column on a Monday, for example, or the podcast that we do with Mark Chapman, or the video that I do um, that's published on YouTube, or many of my other commitments. While I could spend all week trying to get that column together, I have learned that you can also bring things together. On a Sunday, you know, you can make the the relevant calls and um, it might not be as good as it might have been if you'd spent more time on it. But equally, it probably won't be as bad as you think it, it might be because you've built up the relationships over time. People will answer the phone. People will reply on text. Don't get me wrong. I get incredibly nervous. I have real highs and lows. You know, at certain points in the week when my column's gone out and my video and my podcast has gone out, I feel relieved for a short amount of time. But my goodness, then you're suddenly on Wednesday, Thursday, and you're thinking it's all going to start up again. And, I ha- and I've got a blank canvas. I've, I've got a whiteboard in front of me with nothing on it. I've got a diary in front of me with no stories or potential lines. Um, and and that does pervade into your, your family life. You can be in a bad mood. You can be nervous. How, how are a six-year-old and four-year-old able to understand why you've disappeared for two hours up into your office especially now that we're we're mainly all working from home and um when you were meant to be playing with them and 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 your wife has cooked for you or you were meant to be cooking and you know and she's had to leave it or she's been left high and dry because you were supposed to be in charge you were meant to be picking the kids up from school or or take them to an activity or do a family commitment and and then a really important story comes up that can't wait that or you lose the story and that's my stock and trade that that, that's what pays my bills I have to take that call now so she's really understanding I think it's hard for family and friends I've missed loads of commitments over the years parties birthdays um I even had to leave um a holiday with friends in in August of 2019 on on the last couple of days because um, the day we were flying out, um, I got told that there was an opportunity to interview Josh Cronkey and um, <laughs> just switched off. It was <laughs> on transfer deadline day when you broke that well, news to I, your wife. <laughs> I, that was a really really intense window. It was when Arsenal signed Nicola Pepe in that window, and again that shows your highs and lows. Because at one point I was reporting that Arsenal weren't in a position to pay the money. Um, and that was true at that moment in time. Um, we have since learned how and why that changed. You can read about it on The Athletic in the big piece we did in on the Cronkies. Um, and I reported that. I remember I was working at Wimbledon on the tennis and I walked home uh, from a day's play and saw some reports emerging from France that Arsenal had bid for Nicola Pepe. I then uh, tried to stand it up and was told that that wasn't accurate and that they didn't have that money uh, that level of money at that point in time uh, reported that 
a week later, I broke the story that Arsenal had reached agree- an agreement with Lille um, to sign Nicola Pepe for, for that amount of money. And you're, you know, you're, you hold your hands up and say, it looks like I got that wrong. But with the passage of time, um, it looks, I, I know, because I know what happened, that, that we got it right. And, and you're open to huge scrutiny, abuse. I, I get a lot of people, not daily, but regularly saying he, he was the one who got that, got Pepe wrong. He's not trustworthy, blah, 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 or he's, he's not perfect. Um, Anyway, just before the the as the window closed that night, uh, I got confirmation of the Josh Kroenke interview. I was meant to be going away the next day. I thought I was going to miss the holiday entirely. Then I thought, can we postpone the interview? But he could only do that specific day. It meant that I I went away on the holiday, and then I left everyone. We were with all our, our long term friends in a in a villa in Marrakesh, and. Um, and I flew back a day early uh, into London on my own, said goodbye to the kids at the airport and uh, did the Josh Kroenke interview. It was heartbreaking, but equally, then you then get little bonuses, Seb. You you make the best of bad situations. So I then went to the airport when everyone arrived and it was a great celebration. I'd done the interview and, and I saw them all and the kids come running to you. So it's it's about the moments you do have, you've got to do them properly. So you've got to experience the, the moments and fully immerse yourself, which isn't easy. Often I'm caught looking at my phone when the kids are asking me questions and my wife tells me off. She says, you know, you, you very rarely make eye contact with me because you're always concentrating on your phone. So you do get it wrong. But when you can, you focus and and you pay them full attention because she often says to me, even though the moments are maybe increasingly rare when you do have them you're really good generally at investing everything in and don't underestimate how special those those moments are and as I said it's sad that I've missed a lot of events over the year with family and friends and now we're in a lockdown where you regret it even more because you don't know when you're going to see them all next um but ultimately, this is the career that I want, I love, I've built. And and the thrills, the the adrenaline, the, the excitement of working on these stories, whether it's the breaking stories or developing more in-depth stories that we're doing at The Athletic, that's really, I'm not, I wouldn't say irreplaceable because your your family moments are, are more important, but they're wonderful and, and it's why you're in the industry. And even in the dark times where you question how good you are, you question your authority or your you know are things going wrong you have bad days when they go well it's just incredible and it's like I've said this on a number of sort of interviews and talks to students and podcasts and things I I had no academic background at all I was really not very good to put it bluntly in exams (laughs) and growing up and you know I was always very envious of the people that just revised on the night before and 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 got the top grades. I revised for months and got average at best grades. Um, uh, but I just worked so, 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 so hard. And there are still things I could do better, for sure. There are, there are still a lot of mistakes I make all the time. But I do um, think you're a product of what you put in in this industry. Like, I, I, it's inconceivable to think with the amount I put in and the way I try and work the contacts and 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 build towards these crescendos that if others did the same they would probably get similar results and and they do there are loads of top journos out there who get as many if not more stories than me um but without that i definitely wouldn't get what i get it, it, it's a it's a excuse the cliche you, you get out what you put in 
No, that's that's a good place to end actually because that's that's some excellent advice and it's been oh it's been great fun David and listen um do uh, more than happy send so, sorry for no sorry for send, rambling no send Tifo's apologies to Mrs Ornstein um for <laughs> uh for for interrupting and uh, we shall catch up with you again soon maybe hopefully for a state of the club well I've got to sneak in a, a supermarket shop now before the the uh, watching the Arsenal Newcastle game tonight so it shows get those when you get those opportunities you've got to do so but just listen to a podcast while you're going around right well that was it there's David and Mrs uh, Mrs Ornstein and uh, Seb Stafford Bloor so uh, that was fun wasn't it Seb sure was Thank that you sure David. was yeah. Thanks to David and thanks to Alex Stewart. Thanks, Che. Thanks to Seb Savardblore. Farewell, Joe Devine. And thanks to The Athletic for giving us all jobs. Now, uh, we'll be back next week with uh, something entirely different, but basically exactly the same. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>